Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 104 of The Morning After. I am Jesse Kiefer. I'm Sari Kamen. And in in studio on the on the, the ones and twos today, Mr. <laughs> Jack Inslee. On the twos and the fours. The radio booth is more like the one through sixteens, you know? <laughs> a lot yeah. of channels here. Well, we're so happy to have you here, Jack. We're it's so nice honored. to be back. Don't screw it up. You're already dead. <laughs> the last time I was on the show was by phone. For the 100th episode. Yeah, yeah I remember because you didn't listen to my rap. <laughs> I did. No, I didn't. You said you had better things to do, which I, I probably said that clearly meant calling into the show and then not listening to it. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. It's OK. As if that episode wasn't awkward enough. Thanks for making it more awkward. Sorry. Do what I can here. <laughs> that was not the most awkward episode only. It was also the most awkward day of my life. <laughs> well, good. I mean, at least you've accomplished that in your, your you know, 21 years. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to that. Sari, how's your how's your week been since I last saw you? Oh, it was really good. Thanks for asking, Jesse. How was yours? It was it was great. I I mean I ask you because for <laughs> me really, you know, I've got my my day to day. I've got my restaurant work and you know, my really hard life tasting wine on a daily basis and and, and this and that. But you are out interviewing all of these Jewish food I'm, legends uh, in <laughs> New York City. I'm out in the field. That's true. No. I've been to a lot of places lately um, that I'd never been to before. I went to Great Neck this week. In which, New York, which is a, a place in New York. It's right? a place in New York that I had never known existed, much like Narnia. Um, I took a train to get there, and it was really cool. It was um, I was interviewing a woman who has a cookbook coming out, um, called the Silk Road Vegetarian. And her her background, she's Jewish, but her background is Afghani. So she's taken all of these recipes from her ancestry and updated them so they're accommodating to vegetarian diets and gluten-free diets. And she took me to a, an authentic Persian grocery store, um, which was really cool. And I bought a lot of stuff, and she taught me about different kinds of ingredients and foods that I wasn't familiar with. And I, I made some dinner last night using them, and it, it's been really neat. And I also talked to another woman who is um, half Iranian. So I'm getting exposed to a lot of different types of new foods and a woman who is Moroccan. Um, so I'm really getting into this whole, you know, different set of tastes and, and flavors from Jews from, you know, not the traditional kind of like Eastern European flavor board that we think of. So that kind of takes down the idea that Jewish food is just one way. That's exactly right. I mean, this that, you know, more than anything is what I'm really, really learning in this in this project. It's like Jewish food is different to whomever, whomever you speak to. But the one thing that feels consistent is that there are um, rituals and the act of making food and eating food together is what's really sacred. So it's not necessarily so much about what's on the table, but it's about that, you know, coming together and how food is very symbolic in the way that it brings people together around a table and you know, really creates memories. 
Uh, did you read the uh, New York Times magazine this week? Yes. <laughs> um, I was just, I was really pleased and surprised. Um, many episodes ago, you and I had what we called the Lilith Fair of Food, which was in reaction to the Time magazine, uh, God of Food article, which mm-hmm. um, didn't have any ladies. I remember in the, uh, not, the big I remember food it tree. well, but not fondly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I mean, getting all those tough ass kitchen ladies together um was was pretty awesome and the the article by uh marnie hannell uh was called a uh, a woman's place is running the kitchen um and it was a profile about uh, barbara lynch um and how she kind of came up through todd english's restaurants and then she pushed her protege Kristen kish to uh to go on to top chef and ultimately win because she wanted um the idea of a of of women in food on TV as not as like the Susie homemaker, you know, doing a cooking show from her kitchen or a very comfortable space. She wanted, um, you know, people to see women in kitchens as assertive, strong boss ladies who win top chef. So um, it was a really great article and, you know, something I hope to see more of. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, in, in talking with all these different men and women about um, their memories of their, their mothers and their grandmothers, it's really been special to hear about how people um, honor and remember the legacy of their mothers because, th- you know, they, they think of them as like, there's this term called balabusta. Mm-hmm. You, you might be familiar because there's a restaurant mm-hmm. called balabusta yeah. in New York. And the term is like, it's, it's a name for a woman who can really kind of do it all. It's like that woman who, who cooks and cleans and takes care of the kids and, you know, has her own sort of career as well. I mean, or not necessarily. It's just someone who's kind of like the rock, like the foundation of the family. And there really is something like, you know, respected about that idea of the matriarch that I don't know exists so much more, um, at least of the way we, we think about women in kitchens. You know, there's something sort of like pejorative about like a homemaker at this point in time. But it really was a position that was revered because, you know, without that woman doing everything in the home, you know, the home just falls apart. So it's been really, um, you know, an honor to hear people talk about the women in their life, you know, in that way. Um, Well, speaking of balabustas. Speaking of balabustas and women, um, we have a really amazing guest today that I'm very, very excited to share. Um, Her name is Danielle Nirenberg, and she is the founder and president of this unbelievable organization and website called The Food Tank. If any of you are email subscribers, you probably get her her emails because she seems to have a hand in everything. Anything and everything that has to do with um, food policy, agricultural policy, um, farmers' rights, hunger, food rights, food justice. I am so excited to talk to her and ask her how she does it all. So without further ado, do we have Danielle? Uh, no, we're going to take a quick break. Let's take a break, that. and then we'll be back with Danielle. Okay, thanks so much. Yes. 
And we're back. You're listening to The Morning After on Heritage Radio Network with your hosts, Jesse Kiefer, Sari Kamen, and the back of Roberta's per usual Sunday afternoons. I have my guest, Danielle Nirenberg, on the phone with me. Hello, Danielle. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. It is such a pleasure to speak to you, finally. Oh, same here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I think you probably are the busiest person in the world. <laughs> no, no. It's like I'm Barack sorry. Obama and then you. Oh, not quite. I think I'd rather be Danielle, to be honest. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Where are you calling us from, Danielle? Uh, Chicago. I'm actually uh, at home this week. Well, shout out to Chicago. That's that's my hometown. Oh, wonderful. You were just in California, right? I'm sorry? Were you just in California a few weeks ago doing something with Michael Pollan? I was. Yes. I was at the Permaculture Voices Conference, which was a, a really big event, and... Uh, was on a great panel with Michael Pollan and met a lot of really great people. Um, you included. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope I was a good addition for them. So what was the topic you were focusing on for that? We talked about the International Year of Family Farming. Um, Food Tank just put out this great video uh, a few weeks ago, and we were able to show that. And then Michael and I talked about some of the challenges that family farmers face, uh, especially in the United States, but all over the world. And, you know, a lot of the solutions that they're they're coming up with to um, uh, improve agroecological practices on their farm. So it was a lot of fun, you know, because he has such a great perspective on policy and, and the new farm bill and things like that. So I think uh, we were able to really balance each other out a little bit. <laughs> well, that's beyond impressive. <laughs> Don't really know what to say to that. Um, so let's back it up for a second. <laughs> let's call you Michael Paul and just, you know, balancing things out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and now I, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, so I'll I'll calm down for a second. I'll be you know I'll I'll be a little more cool from now on. Um, yeah, you're welcome, Jesse. <laughs> uh, why don't we back it up? And Danielle, can you explain? I know it's so hot in here. Can you explain to everyone who's listening what is Food Tank? Uh, food Tank is a think tank dedicated to uh, cultivating a better food system, and we try to do that by bridging both domestic and global food issues and really highlighting stories of hope and success in the food system so people know that there are solutions out there. Who is, who is Food Tank for? Who is your audience that you are, you're, you're looking to grab? We say it's for, you know, the 7 billion people who eat each day. So all of us, eaters, uh, uh, parents, policymakers, farmers in the field, we really try to um, make uh, our materials and our website accessible to anyone who's really interested in learning more about the food system. So what, what did you do before you started Food Tank? What was your background? I, uh, you know, it depends on how far you want to go back. I was a Peace Corps volunteer a long time ago and uh, really um, worked with a lot of farmers. I, I had this experience where I was able to, uh, I lived in the third largest city in the Dominican Republic and worked with school kids and, and had some urban farms and then divided my time uh working with uh, coffee farmers in the field. And so really under, you know, that experience helped me understand the connections between food and nutrition and health and the environment and um, spend some time in, in uh, Massachusetts at the Tufts uh, 
Friedman School for Nutrition Science and Policy, and uh, then was uh, spent the bulk of my career at an environmental organization in Washington, D.C. called World Watch, and um, through that did a lot of on-the-ground uh, research um, uh, in Asia and elsewhere looking at uh, the growth of factory farming and uh, then uh, spent around two years on the ground visiting more than 35 countries, mostly in Sub-Saharan Africa, but also Asia and Latin America, and had this really amazing opportunity to talk to hundreds of farmers and researchers and policymakers and aid workers and youth groups and women's groups in the field and really collect their thoughts on what was working on the ground. And that, you know, led to the development of Food Tank, again, to really highlight what's working, not focus always on the problems, although we, we do do that at Food Tank. We, we highlight, you know, issues that need to be resolved and, and which require more research. But we really, are, our focus is highlighting those stories of hope and success in food and so that farmers and agriculture aren't blamed for our problems but really uh, thought of as a solution. Can you give me an example of, of a success story that um, that you've been able to witness with Food Tank? Oh, gosh. You know, I've had some great, you know, I've been able to meet so many wonderful uh, individuals. And, you know, one story I can share with you is I um, had the opportunity to visit a, a, a cooperative run by around 50 women in Niger. And they, before they had started their farming cooperative, they were all making around $300 per year and, you know, just, you know, not not eating well, not being able to, you know, feed their families well. And once they organized themselves into this cooperative and started using um, more sustainable farming practices, they um, depend on solar drip irrigation to uh, run the, the their farm. So they're growing um, fruit trees, they're growing uh, vegetables, they're growing a few grains. Um, and they're, you know, very successful. Uh, now they're making around $1,500 per year, each of them. And, and when you ask them, you know, how this has changed their lives, how being part of the cooperative and using these different practices, you know, what, what has changed in their lives, they say things like, you know, we're able to uh, buy better clothes now. Uh, we're able to send our, our kids to school. You know, we're fatter now because we're eating better. So it's just really, you know, the... The, the innovation that's taking place isn't, you know, always big or, um, you know, a, a so-called silver bullet. It can be very simple changes that can really improve people's lives and, you know, have the, the added benefit of protecting the environment and restoring indigenous crops and protecting biodiversity and that kind of thing. So, you know, one thing that really strikes me about Food Tank is how prolific you guys are or you are. Um, I don't know how many people are working with you. <laughs> I imagine you're doing everything because you're like a superwoman. But, you know, you send out emails so often and you touch on so many different topics and they're like always so in-depth and you have so much information. Um, how do you how do you go about deciding? Like, there's so many issues out there. How do you decide what you're going to tackle and what you're, you know, choosing to disseminate? Yeah, no, and I, I should say, you know, Food Tank is, is not just me. We we have built a, a team of mostly volunteers. Well, I'm glad amazing. to hear that. 
And, you know, we have all these great collaborators and people who are helping us, you know, from all over the world really contribute to the research you see on the website. And while it does seem like we're, we're trying to focus on everything, we do have, you know, particular issue areas. One big one this year is obviously family farming because this is the International Year of Family Farming. So we're, we're really trying to highlight all of the things that farmers do in addition to food production. Obviously, food production is, is very important, but we don't realize that farmers are business women, that they're entrepreneurs, that they're inventors and innovators, um, and that they're, you know, stewards of the land. And, and they're rarely recognized for all of these multiple roles. So we're, we're very um, excited excited about really highlighting those multiple roles and, and showing, you know, consumers why you should value, you know, the farmers who are, are working so hard to feed the world. Um, we also focus on youth and women for, for obvious reasons. You know, we really want to make sure that we're cultivating the next generation of agricultural leaders as, as farmers age and then really highlighting how when women are given the same access to resources as male farmers, you know, the, the increases in food production and environmental sustainability can take place. We're um, very uh, excited about our urban agriculture work and really showing how cities can be centers of not just food production, but also um, ways to uh, solve, you know, some of our most serious problems, including unemployment and conflict and, and access and affordability to food. Um, and we're also focused on the idea of resilience and, and making agricultural uh, systems not just resilient to things like climate change, but food price shocks or natural disasters or, or war or, or sort of all of the other things that can really um, impede farmers from getting their, their crops to people who need them. So, you know, um, you know and... and Increasingly this year, and tomorrow is uh, Cesar Chavez Day, we're really trying to focus on, on some, of sort of the, some of the invisible folks who are in the food system, the workers who are not just, you know, harvesting food, but also preparing it. Uh, uh, we, we forget about restaurant workers, and we forget about the people who are working in, in processing plants and slaughterhouses. So really trying to give them a bigger voice in the food system is something that we really um, are interested in, in collaborating with different partners on. Mm -hmm. And I, how do you really go about doing that? I mean, you've spoken about, you know, just focusing um, attention on them and kind of shedding a light to increase awareness. But where does it go from there? You know, what's the next step yeah. after that? I mean, you know, for us, it's really about building strategic partnerships, you know, whether it's with the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, who we've been working with on the International Year of Family Farming, or talking to a lot of the labor and worker groups who are doing such amazing work to increase wages and increase the voice of workers in the food system. So, you know, we... we the newsletter that you see every week is one way that we try to spread awareness. We're doing publications that focus on these particular issues so that uh, advocates and, and uh, farmers in the field and eaters can all have sort of the concrete data they need to to make better decisions. Um, we're holding events that really convene people and sort of 
bring, you know, the, the unusual suspects together to, to talk about food issues and, and, and ways that focus not, again, on the doom and gloom, but also, you know, really on the solutions and, and making a difference and learning what, what's working in, in different communities so that those things can be replicated and scaled up elsewhere. So you recently put out a list of uh, 23 women who are making a difference in, in the food system. Right. Yeah, for um, International Women's Day, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you go about choosing those particular women? It must have been really difficult. You know, I'm sure there was many, many more I for mean, you to choose from. Obviously. And, you know, uh, some of the feedback I got on that list is we didn't, uh, we had, you know, a few farmers, but we didn't include enough women farmers. And so, you know, we tried to, to take that feedback. And, you know, when we, when we do another list next year or whenever, we'll try to do, you know, we, we really want to learn from our, our listeners and our readers about what they want more of. But, you know, those are either women, you know, who we've interacted personally with or we feel like they're doing great work or they've made such a big difference. So, you know, our criteria changes for, because we do several of these lists per year, you know, it, it really changes. And it's based on, you know, the impact that we think that they're having and, and, and uh, you know, the great work that they're doing. Yeah, I mean, one thing that was really nice about having that list come out is it was just an opportunity to to kind of look inward and think, you know, who would I want to be on my list? And right. um, yeah, Jesse, my co-host, and I, you know, we we mentioned that list in our show when it came out, and we both, you oh, know, took you. A, of course, and then we both took a moment to talk about, you know, who we would want to see if we were constructing our own lists as well. So you, you know, know, it's such an opportunity to celebrate you know, the people who are doing this work every day. And I, you know, we're, we're so grateful to them, obviously, for, you know, fighting the good fight every day. Yeah, um, that's for sure. I think, you know, Danielle, we're going to take a quick break and just give a little shout out to our sponsor. Can you stay on the line with us for a few more minutes? Absolutely. Okay, we'll be right back. Thanks. I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. And we're back here on the morning after speaking to Daniel Nirenberg, president of Food Tank, the Food Think Tank. Danielle, I am um, I unlike Sari, I'm not someone who has really studied this side of the the food system. Um, and so, in reading kind of your mission statement, um, you know, you you talk about the food. Think Tank offers solutions, environmentally sustainable ways of alleviating hunger, obesity, and poverty. I, I want to know, you know, how does sustainability, sustaining the environment, offer, you know, ways to alleviate hunger, ob- obesity, and poverty? Absolutely. I mean, I think the, the best way to talk about it is, you know, when you look at what our food system ha- has been focused on, uh, we, we produce starchy staple crops where we're 
focused on monocultures of, of maize and soybeans and rice and wheat, and we're not always focused on the things that actually nourish people. You know, the consequences of, of this focus on monoculture systems has led to not only malnutrition for millions of people worldwide, but it's also contributed to the obesity epidemic. So if we look at diversity in the food system and using environmentally sustainable practices, you know, whether it's rainwater harvesting or planting indigenous crops or, you know, any of the other sort of agroecological approaches that are out there, you, it, they all really depend on a more diverse food system. Um, this, you know, does things like uh, give farmers a, a source of insurance. If one crop fails because of pests or disease or flood or drought, it's likely that some of their other crops that they have been planting will, will survive and thrive. And so, you know, or if uh, they're you know, if, if any sort of uh, conflict happens and they can't get their their uh, crops to market, then they have, you know, a, a better system in place that will allow them to, you know, either preserve their foods or hold it or, or save it for another time. So really looking at things in a way that doesn't focus on um, quantity but really focuses on quantity or quality is is an approach that we think will not only increase incomes for farmers but also improve nutrition and, and help solve some of the the uh, problems around health that have resulted from the again this focus on on monoculture monoculture crops danielle i'm just curious um and you don't have to comment on this but what if you choose to comment what was your opinion on the farm bill that was recently passed Oh, I mean, you know, what What does one say? I, I think, uh, you know, finally <laughs> there's a farm bill, right? Yeah. So that's, you know, you, you sort of feel relieved. I mean, if, I, I because, you know, we're focused on solutions, I tried to look for the positive points in the farm bill, and there, you know, there are a couple. Uh, one, there's more uh, focus on, on farmers who are not uh, big farmers, small and medium-sized uh, vegetable and fruit growers, so a little more attention and a little bit more money. So I think that's one big positive step. Um, but, you know, it, I, I think, you know, what groups like the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy and others are talking about going beyond the farm bill is really important. We need a food, you know, we need a set of food policies in this country that aren't just discussed every five years but are, are part of you know, policy making in general, because food is such an integral part of, of, you know, the economy. We really need to to have a food system that and and a set of food policies that work for everyone. And that's separate from food stamps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I I agree. Um, So I'm curious, you mentioned uh, Cesar Chavez Day coming up. You know, maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, what what role you're going to play in sort of promoting awareness behind working farmers and then what other kind of events are coming up for you or what you know sort of big issues do you have plans for tackling in the coming season sure i mean like i said before food tank is really going to focus more on workers over the next year um and that you know means uh uh, a series, our, an article series on our website where we're highlighting different groups and different individuals who are working for workers' rights. Um, later this year, we're hoping to have an event that solely focuses on workers in the food system, and that will likely be in the Bay Area, and we're really excited about that. Um, and, you know, uh, 
We're also working with Oxfam America to have a couple of events uh, throughout this year called What's Dinner. Um, I, Michael Pollan, in one of his books, has said, you know, the most asked question in the world is what's for dinner. But for many people, you know, not just in the United States, but across the world, the, the question is, you know, what is dinner? What we, you know, will we have enough money to eat tonight? And so really bringing a, a different, uh, you know, aspect to, to the idea of, of food. Um, I think so many of us, because we, we were foodies and we love food, we forget that for many people it's not a question of, you know, what where will I go to eat tonight or, you know, what can I get out of the refrigerator, but actually how am I going to get right. dinner? Because, yeah, it's how, uh, not what. Yeah, so yeah. I'm really excited about that, and that's a great opportunity to partner with Oxfam. Yeah, that's a fantastic distinction that you're making as well. So Danielle, just one more question kind of to, to leave us on a high note or, or with your, you know, your very, very good advice. Um, how can we eat better in our community? You know, for me, it's always about getting closer to your food system. And I'm not the first person to say this, but like, you know, when you can putting a face to your food, visiting the farmer's market talking to the farmers around you, you know, visiting your community garden if, if you can and you have the time and the ability to, you know, get your own garden plot, uh, cooking, you know, sharing meals with friends. These are all just ways to experience food better and, and, and share it and, and learn from it and, and really uh, not just improve your own health but the, the health of your community. Danielle, thank you so much. She's the president of Food Tank, the Food Think Tank. The website is foodtank.com. And Danielle, before you go, um, how how can we get involved with Food Tank? You know, is anyone who's listening and wants to, you know, become a part of the community that you're creating? Absolutely. There are volunteer opportunities available uh, on foodtank.com. They can email me personally at danielle at foodtank.com. And, you know, there are lots of ways to get involved. And as we have more events, you know, throughout the the year across the country, there will be ways for people to attend and and meet some of the people we're working with. So, um, but everyone should feel free to to visit the website and and get in touch if if they have any questions. Are you on uh, other forms of social media, Twitter, Facebook? Absolutely everywhere. <laughs> so th- those are all available on the website, but it's, you know, at food underscore tank for Twitter. We're on Facebook, we're on Pinterest, we're, we're everywhere. So there, there are lots of ways for people to interact with us. That's, that's great. You really are everywhere. It's, it's incredibly impressive. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. And thanks to Heritage Radio and for you, because uh, I'm such big fans of, of the work that you're all doing and, and really communicating to such a big audience. So thank oh, you. Thank you, Danielle. We're really, really happy to be, to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You, you take care. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. You too. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks, Danielle. Bye. And we're going to take one more break. And then we'll be back with a little more of The Morning After on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
And we're back here on the morning after. I am Jesse Kiefer. I am still Sarah Kamen. You know, here at the morning after, we have very close ties with the mythical restaurant that celebrates all bad food and wine trends. It's called Chardonnay's. that jingle (laughs) so in today's what's on the menu at chardonnay's we you know we were really able to get some exclusive stuff from them Um, and so we have chardonnay's staff lineup notes that are ready for immediate release for all chardonnay's locations oh my god so i'm going to read directly from those lineup notes here at chardonnay's we're looking to bring sexy back After a long, grueling winter, our guests deserved to feel attractive again. So we are introducing the full lineup of 50 Shades of Grey wines. Now you don't have to get them at the local Safeway or your drive-thru liquor store. We have all of them. We have the white wine, silk, the red wine, satin, and just in time for spring, a rosé more obviously named vulva. All wines are indiscriminately blended with unknown grape flavors by non-winemaker and Fifty Shades of Grey author E.L. James. She may not be qualified to make wine, but she knows that wine wine warms the loins, and that is just what we want here at Chardonnay's. For only $100 a bottle, you can enjoy the chewy tannin additives and smoky oak chip flavor, sure to give you and your lover a night that you'll never remember. Can we hear the jingle one more time? Can we just one more time? And with that, I'm going to call an end to this episode of The Morning After on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. That's our show. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.